morning. We're so glad that you have joined us for worship this morning here at Central Baptist Church, that you could be uh, part of our experience of worship here this morning. You will find in the pews in front of you um, some uh, information cards we just updated recently, and we invite you, if you're uh, visiting here, if you're new, um, to fill one of those out with any information that you'd like to provide. Uh, you can put that in the offering plate as it goes by later. Um, or leave it out at the sign-up table uh, as well that you'll find out in the foyer. We're so glad that you're here, whether this is your first time or whether you have called this place home for decades. We want you to know that your presence is a blessing to us this morning, and we are so glad that you have joined us. Uh, this morning, we're also um, excited to welcome uh, the Reverend Dr. Jan Cottrell. Uh, you can find uh, more information about her in your news and notes. Uh, the blue page inside your bulletin this morning. Uh, we're so glad that she's joined us. She's already preached once at the uh, early service this morning, and now we'll preach again here at 11. Um, she, uh, after uh, over 25 years as a parish priest, um, is, uh, is now a, a counselor, um, has a, a lot of uh, study behind her from her uh, doctor of ministry um, to uh, work as a, in, as a clinician uh, focusing on uh, mental health, clinical training, and substance abuse, and all uh, grief, loss, and anxiety. You can find that uh, all in her uh, bio here. And also, uh, her husband, Ken, is here with her this morning. Um, and uh, they have three grown children, four grandchildren, and a Karen Terrier named Phoebe. So, uh, uh, we're so glad that you are here with us this morning, Jan, to preach. Um, this week, uh, we've had some, uh, some folks in the hospital and some hospital visits, and I was uh, visiting Bill Campbell uh, after he had a procedure uh, yesterday, and we were talking, and um, he said something profound to me in his uh, quoting Lily Tomlin. We're all, yeah, see, uh, one of our, one of our, uh, our saints, um, uh, we're all in this alone. <laughs> together <laughs> together so uh so but it was a beautiful sentiment isn't it as we all have our uh varied uh you know abilities uh the places where we find ourselves in life uh the intersections in our life of privilege and of otherness we're all well alone at times but together too and so perhaps in that togetherness, in this place where we find welcome uh, from God who welcomes us here, from one another who welcome us here, just as we are, uh, we can find in that community healing. We can find in that community some resurrection and life as God is continuing to create his, uh, God's beloved community here and God's beloved community uh, far beyond these walls that we're all invited to. So let's worship together this morning.
Come, let's praise God together. For God is great and worthy of our praise. Let's tell stories of God's power and kindness. All God's mighty and wonderful acts throughout all of history. For God is great and worthy of our praise. Let's remember the compassion God has shown toward us. God's mercy and unfailing love, generation after generation. For God is great. Let's pass these stories along to our children and grandchildren so that they too may experience and be blessed by God's love. Please join me in prayer. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Lord, I pray that the message of Christ and his sacrifice is the root of gratitude in my heart that his gracious gift leads me to thankful living, setting an example for generations, that they will have their own relationship with Jesus one day, and that you would grow gratitude in their hearts out of the acceptance of Jesus as their Savior. Lead us to do everything in the name of Jesus and give thanks to you through him. Amen. Please turn to one another and pass the peace.
The Hebrew scripture this morning comes from Deuteronomy chapter 25. When brothers reside together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her, taking her in marriage and performing the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the firstborn whom she bears shall succeed to, name, to the name of the deceased brother, so that his name shall not be blotted out of Israel. For the word of God that works its way among us. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together, please. Dear God, I'm struck by the fact that it is through love that we are set free, that when we don't know what to do, we love. When we feel anger or hurt or abandonment, we love. When we don't understand, we love. When we understand all too well, we love. God, this morning I pray that you will guide our hearts and guide our actions, even guide our gift-giving by the purest sense of what it is that truly sets us free, and that is to love. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Please be seated.
sometimes the scriptures that the lectionary provides to us are more difficult than others. And so I'm grateful this morning for the Reverend Dr. Cottrell, who will bring to us a message about this later that finds the beauty and the life in this passage. But now, if you will, let's stand together as we read the gospel lesson this morning. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up the children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first married and died childless. Then the second and the third married her, and so in the same way, all seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore... Whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her. Jesus said to him, Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for to him all of them are alive. The Gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God.
It's a hard act to follow. Thank you. So pretty. I've been at this a while as a parish priest and Episcopalian, but I still get really nervous. Um, it's just part of being an introvert. But um, I, I want to say this before I get started. is um, I've known Mark, your pastor, for a long time through the local ministerial association and, um, and also through a wonderful time, the ministry time that we experienced a number of years ago, part of my job in the Episcopal Diocese as I had been the, um, the chair of our companion relationship with Haiti. And so I spent 12 years going back and forth and really <coughs> found that meaningful. And at the Ministerial Association, when I couldn't make it if I, because I was out of the country, and Mark started asking me about that ministry. And long story short, he went with us to Haiti. And when you spend time in that kind of world, you see, you learn a lot about one another, and, you know, I just came to experience him as a, just this huge vat of unconditional love for humanity, and um, also, um, we can talk about him this morning, right? Good. Um, he made up a rap song, <laughs> yeah, to kind of cheer us up one night, we were gathered around the table where we were staying, and um, it was really a fun song, but um, on the table was a drawing. Haitians are wonderful artists and beautiful people, but they had drawn a picture of a foot, and it was a foot that had been amputated after the earthquake, and they had used that dinner table as the operating table um, with orthopedic surgeons <laughs> to help the Haitians. And, it called us all to attention, the picture of that foot, and um, we prayed and talked and did our ministry, but that night, Mark wrapped us a song. So Mark invites me to come and preach here, and I've worshiped here before. I have um, some friends here, and also um, a woman I worked with when I was doing my clinical training was a member here, Hannah Naday. Hi, Hannah, if you're watching this live stream. She's now a minister, uh, a chaplain up in Ohio. But um, so I decided to come and worship two weeks ago just to kind of reconnect with the style of worship. As I told Mark, what do I wear? I said, no, I can't wear a pointy hat. You know, Episcopalians wear pointy hats and collars and <laughs> whatever. Um, but here is what happened. I had told Mark before I visited that I was going to preach about, based on these scriptures, I'm following the lectionary, the gospel lectionary. I was going to preach about what it means to be family. But then I came here two or three weeks ago with my husband, Ken, sitting out in the fourth pew. And I, I can't tell you a greater truth right now that I have never experienced a welcome. I didn't have a collar on or any pointy hat or vestments. I just came in a pair of golf slacks or something. But I, I met people before and after the service, and I thought, this really is already a family. You already welcome everyone. And I felt that way, not just because of me, but just because of the signs and symbols and the messages around your building. And it was very powerful. And um, as someone who's been away from parish ministry for a while, I've kind of had a little bit of a time finding my, my place in the pew, which, but I found it here. It was amazing. 
The other thing that has, I have my antennas up about is um, Ken and I, my husband, are also um, what's called prison, Prisoner Visitation and Support People. It's a national organization where we get invited to go visit inmates in federal penitentiaries. And this one here, the FMC here in Lexington, is where we visit. And I don't know, months ago, they have to ask us for a visitor. We can't just go in there and, you know, proselytize or beat anybody up with the Bible or anything like that. We just go in and, and are present to them and help them do time. So I got a request from the entry coordinator, Scarlett is her name, to visit a young man. And I looked him up. You can look up your inmate and find out their age and a little bit about them. But when we go, we don't say, you know, why are you in here? Um, that's not our business. That's not what they're there for. We're there for. Um, so I went on my first visit, and there's a little over 1,500 male inmates in Lexington. We have a women's camp, about 350 women, but this was in the men's camp. And I'm waiting to meet my new inmate, and some of the men, they come out in their, you know, khaki jumpsuits, and they have their names on, name tags on. And Ken's been visiting the same inmate for eight or nine years, and I, I know him because I've been um, to visit with Ken. Well, out, I'm watching for the name of my inmate on his clothes, and out comes a woman in the khaki jumpsuit. And sure enough, that woman had the name of my inmate. So I introduced myself, and, but again, we're in the men's facility. Women are not allowed in there. So we sat down and we chatted, and, um, and I don't like to ask a lot of questions. I just like to listen and, or make observations. And eventually, since it didn't come up, I just said something like, you look like a woman. I mean, she had breasts, you could tell. I mean, she had long hair. She had, and she said, oh, I'm transgendered, fully transgendered. And I was a little shocked. I said, well, I'm surprised you're not in the women's camp. And she said, well, I have, on my birth certificate, it says I'm a man. So she's not permitted. And having toured prison facilities, I'm aware that there's not a lot of privacy. Well, I asked her if there was like a women's restroom for inmates, and no. Same as, you know, in the two people in one small room with a little silver toilet, no privacy. The showers are basically cages with shower heads, no curtains, no fancy soap, no privacy. And I just imagine the kind of trauma that she would go through on a weekly basis. And I've come to care about her a lot. And as I, what I do, and I've told her this, is in order to help her do her time, I vicariously, when I see something beautiful, I, I see it for her. When I see the moon in the, in the sky at night, I see it for her. When I came to worship here at Central a few weeks ago, I came on her behalf, and she was really welcomed. You would, have, you would welcome her. So thank you. My experience here was that except, although you're Baptist, you welcome everyone. And, um, what? 
<laughs> well, I'm an Episcopalian, and you know we are what we are. We have our little tribal nuances. But I was reminded of a story that um, I'd heard years ago. My son was a—he's now grown, lives out in LA. But I knew this story from his little preschool, an Episcopalian preschool, St. Michael's, and um, the teacher had asked this five-year-old class to the next day to bring something in that was a symbol of your faith because there were all kinds of denominations in this school and so what happened is is little Larry the Lutheran Larry brought in a small um, catechism <laughs> as a symbol of his faith and talked about how they teach and learn and the teacher affirmed that and then um, there was Mary the Methodist, and she brought a picture she had drawn, drawn of her church with the red doors and how they try to welcome everyone as Methodists, and they do it very methodically, and the teacher affirmed that. And then there was Pat the Presbyterian brought a pair of those prayer hands and how prayer was a part of their faith, and the teacher affirmed that, and that's all part of our faith and our life. And Kathy the Catholic brought in a crucifix, and people wanted to know what who that little man on the cross was, hanging there. And um, she talked about, the teacher talked about the crucifixion and the resurrection. And then little Eddie, the Episcopalian, brought in a big casserole. <laughs> Which we all have in common with one another's faith traditions. And, but the teacher emphasized that resurrection, the, the belief in the, re the mystery of the resurrection is, the, is at the core of the Christian faith. And the Sadducees have something to say about that this morning. Our gospel lesson starts off with some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, and you know, they were sad, you see. <laughs> about that. Um, I mean, without resurrection, Christianity cannot exist. So as I've started thinking about all this, it coincidentally came a time when I, I brought this in, you can't see it from where you are, but it's a good, good video for their DVD for the choir. It's called As It Is in Heaven. I ordered it because I like the title. It's a line from our, the Lord's Prayer, As It Is in Heaven, but it's a story of a community that is resurrected. Daniel, this um, very world famous, a Swedish film that um, won all kinds of awards, and when I ordered it, I didn't know it was in Swedish. Uh, subtitles, I know, I'm a slow learner. Um, but it's in subtitles, so that means you really have to watch it. And, but he is a, um, a conductor in this world-famous orchestra, and he's really intense, and long story short, but he, he has a heart attack, and his doctor said he needed to take some time away and get a grip, get back to his life of being himself. And so Daniel... He goes back to his small village in northern Sweden. Um, we hadn't been there since he was a child, and there's flashbacks of when he was a child, and it shows that some him being beat up and bullied and his nose broken and all kinds of horrible stuff when he was a little boy. And, but he goes back because no one would know him now. He had changed his name since he'd become famous. And, um, he bought an empty schoolhouse and was living there when the local minister comes and visits him and welcomed him to their little tiny village and very remote and asked what he was going to be doing while he was here. And Daniel says, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be listening. 
And of course, ministers, sometimes we have a, an agenda. And um, the minister had knew who he really was. And he said, well, you know, we've got a choir that is not too great. We would love your help. Just come and listen to us. Well, eventually Daniel makes his way to the choir and is just filled with affection for this humble little, not so great choir. And eventually takes over as the choir director and he does something that is very, very powerful. He starts learning the stories of these people and including people, um, one young man who struggled with autism, who had never been part of anything in this little village other than wandering around bouncing off walls and nobody knew what to do with him. But Daniel brings him into the choir and he starts learning about the lives of the choir. One of the women, Gabriella, is married to, it turns out, one of the bullies that had beaten Daniel up as a little boy. And he understands that this man is still violent and mean and has great control over this little village. Um, in fact, the movie starts out when the minister is visiting at the school and this, Daniel didn't know who he was, but he comes up in front of the school and he shoots a beautiful white bunny and picks the bunny up and beats it against the school wall and laughs and says to the minister, you know, here's, a, here's your Easter dinner or something like that. And it was just horrific to watch as someone who, I don't even, I, the little bugs that are in my house, I put them outside or make pets out of them. I don't, I'm serious, I don't kill anything. But anyway, so Daniel learns these life stories, but he starts teaching people, um, choir people, you might like this story, how to find their own voice. And when they make sounds, he, he, he emboldens that and helps them to be a collaborative choir, paying attention to one another and sharing in one another's gifts. And they become really amazing and beautiful. They ended up going to this competition that was like some national competition and thousands of people are there and they're all nervous and Daniel didn't want to go because he was worried about his health. Well. What happens is they convince him to go, but then when they're getting ready to start, Daniel's nowhere to be found. Well, it shows Daniel kind of pedaling along on his bike, and he's straining to breathe, and he makes his way in and has a health episode and ends up in the bathroom and falling on the floor. Well, the choir, they don't know what to do without their leader, but Torres, the autistic young man, starts just making this beautiful sound, like, just to get everybody's attention. And then the choir started making their sounds. And the whole, thousands of people started standing up, just finding their voice. And Daniel can hear this in the, in the restroom where he's fallen. And it's a, it's a sense of transcendence that you can feel that this community has resurrected. They have come back to life. They have come back from the dead. Resurrection. It is God's way of bringing life out of death. It happened in the movie, in that modest little church choir. And then when Gabriella, who had, we had, there's one scene where she's just beat to a pulp by her bully husband, and Daniel wrote her a solo about finding her new life, finding herself, rising above the hardships, and she resurrects and leaves that brutal husband. Jesus did not see resurrection as something to philosophically debate. 
Resurrection for Jesus was a conviction of his heart. It's what inhabited him. It's what animated his living and his dying. The Sadducees, on the other hand, they viewed resurrection as some kind of absurdity to be exposed and be dismissed and debunked. They pointed to the religious law of the, in marriage. When a man died, his brother should marry his widow. In one sense, that law is rooted in some kind of compassion. But viewed from another angle, it emphasizes the, the fact that in that society, women were treated as property. And marriage was some kind of, well, transaction. The Sadducees reinforced the status quo in posing their question about the hypothetical woman who is married to seven different men in succession. Even in the afterlife, they imagined the rights of property must be satisfied. But Jesus, on the other hand, insisted that a new day was coming in which neither men nor women would be defined by marriage as it existed in that time. Those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. As children of the resurrection, Jesus teaches, we are all free and we're all equal. It's a word that stands at the very mystery of our faith, but it's not the denial of death. It's the conviction that life rises from death and death prepares us for a way of life. The destruction of a star births all the elements and the energies of this earth. The brittle remains of the leaves that we're seeing fall around us these days are all going to be the compost for new growth in the spring. In our human experiences, resurrection is passing of life's vitality from one generation to the next, and the light and comfort to something more to which the, the, the near death often hear and bear witness to. It's in the continuing presence of loved ones who have died. Resurrection is hap happens whenever someone recovers from a health episode or finds release from oppression or discovers a new life or becomes clean after years of addiction. In a film a few years ago, 12 Years a Slave, it reminds us that resurrection can be a slow and gradual, even multi-generational process. The rebirth of our nation's soul began when we abolished slavery almost 240 years ago. 158 years later, our recovery from the, the moral and spiritual death, it, it continues. We are still resurrecting, thanks be to God, from that. Resurrection life is both now and not yet. Jesus teaches us in this, this commentary that I read as I prepared for this, Richard Swanson writes, the Sadducees understood this world to be the only world in which God would act as a keeper of covenantal promises. Jesus, however, identified with, somewhat with the Pharisees when he understood that God would keep promises and enact justice, even, and maybe in particular, beyond the boundaries of this world. So often, especially now it seems, death is ruling our world. Just this week we heard a horrific story of nine family members across the border, nine Americans 
were killed, babies, children, women were put to death. They were on their way to a family wedding in Mexico. Gun violence, every time we turn around. Tomorrow, Veterans Day, the 11th month, the 11th day, on the 11th hour, we remember the realities of war and its traumatic impact on the world. Sometimes we don't find freedom and healing in this life, from the deathly powers of illness, abuse, addiction, poverty, violence, hunger. Resurrection is now, but it's also not yet. It's a promise and a hope. It's the conviction that the cruelties of this world are they are not the final word. It's not the end. There's another age to come, a time and place in which God will bring life to all the universe. In another commentary, Patrick Wilson says, Wherever, whatever else dies, love does not die. We recognize that when we read our lives through a, a resurrection hermeneutic, a resurrection understanding. One final story. Oh, I love kids' stories, kids. Um, you know, every Sunday is the Feast of the Resurrection. We sell, we're reminded of the resurrection. and. Um, one little Sunday school class teacher had, as it turns out, seven six-year-old boys in her class. Um, rambunctious boys, not that girls aren't rambunctious, but she had six rambunctious boys. And it was a few Sundays after Easter Sunday and spring was happening and life was happening and she had a collection, as teachers do, collecting things that, for art, some of you will be are old enough to remember when women's pantyhose came in big legs containers. You know the big eggs, big plastic eggs. Now you can get little eggs when you do your Easter egg hunt and put candies and stuff. But she had a pile of those, and she was kind of at her wit's end with the energy of the boys on this spring Sunday morning. And she said, "Okay, boys, what I want you to do is I want you to go out in the churchyard here, take one of these containers and go out and find, find me a symbol of the resurrection. And of course, they all fell all over each other and were heading outside. And in that class of seven boys was also little Thomas. Thomas um, suffered with something that we call Down syndrome. And so in, in some ways, he was a little slower than the other boys. And they made fun of him. And it was bothersome. But he went on out, and he took his legs container and lingered out after the rest of them had gone. And when, they, when, the school, when the Sunday school bell rang for them to come back in, they all jumbled in and had their legs containers and were all excited. And one little boy opens his up, and he had a whole pile of fresh-grown grass. And he was saying, look at the new grass. He's throwing it all over the room. And this is a sign of new life. And um, one child had pulled some buds off of a tree and said, these, these would have been leaves if I hadn't picked them. But it's a sign of new life and spring is coming. And um, there were other pieces. Someone found a piece of a crocus, which is really a wonderful sign of spring and new life coming. And um, one little boy found, I don't 
how he did this, but he caught a little butterfly, and they took that, they, he let it loose in the room, and they caught it and let it back out, and um, everybody had shared except Thomas, and um, Thomas just sat there, and um, they started kind of punching on him and saying, what's in your egg, Thomas, what's in your egg, and they were laughing at him, and um, open, open your egg up, and Thomas was reluctant, and he opened up his legs container, and it was empty. And um, oh, they, they really made fun. You couldn't even find anything. You just could have put some grass in there, Thomas. Come on, get with it. Well, Thomas looked around, and he said, the tomb was empty. The tomb was empty. They are the tombs of our life with the dead, sick, tired, poor, addicted selves live. Empty that out. Allow your tomb, your inner tomb, to be empty so that Christ might dwell within you. May that be true for all of us. May we live this resurrection life together. Amen. Jen, for your important and powerful words, but thank you mostly for leading with your heart as you do. Your spirit drives what you say and drives it home very wonderfully. We hope at Central that we're the sort of people that are continuing to strive to become resurrection people. And as she pointed out, it's not just the resurrection after physical death, but it's the resurrection from life's struggles and life's tough spots and the places where you feel less than. And we pray this morning that if you feel that way, that you will also now have a sense of resurrection, of returning, that Christ is ready to enter your heart and to fill those empty places up with his being and with his life and with his love. And if you don't have a church home and you'd like to find one, we hope to be that resurrection people for you. If you'd like to make central your home, we certainly, Charles will be down front as we sing our hymn of invitation. Please stand as we sing.
Just a couple announcements before you leave today. There are two tables in the foyer that I want to encourage you to stop by. First is our sign-up table. There's a lot happening over the next couple weeks. Please stop by that table. Uh, sign up for the events that interest you and uh, participate in the things happening in the church. On that table, you will also find the shoe boxes for Mercury County. We send those through uh, CBF Kentucky and our field personnel, Scarlet Jaspers. So please take one of those. Inside that box is a list and some instructions of what to do uh, and how to fill that box and when to return it. The other table is our directory table. We want you to stop by that table, uh, confirm, edit, revise your contact information, your family and your household information. So we know the best ways to get in contact with you. That information may be used for a directory in the next few months, but uh, make sure that you stop by those tables on your way out. Jan, thank you so much for your message and your words uh, to remind us of the Resurrection Hope. Uh, I want to invite you now to lead us in our benediction. To close, I'll say that a few weeks after Thomas opened his empty egg, as would happen sometimes, this child had some other health issues and he he died. Got in the hospital, he died. And at his funeral, that Sunday school class sat together and they had the casket out and the teacher didn't plan this. But all those boys took a legs container and opened it up empty and put it in the casket. And they all said together, Thomas has risen with Christ. Alleluia, alleluia. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you this day and remain with you all the days of your life so that you might know the resurrection life. Alleluia, alleluia. Amen.